Welcome back to the What's Cooking podcast. This is the penultimate episode of season three. Can you believe it? It's We're flown by. So we interviewed Abby from Le Chou, who was just lovely, and we really connected with her. We did. I think, you know, she's she's um, her business specialises in shoe pastry, and her kind of path has been quite similar to both of ours with our businesses. And, yeah, we, we just felt like we had a lot in common and had a lot of advice to share back and forth, which was really nice. We think what she's offering is really unique. You don't really see shoe pastry much. Occasionally you see like a proper shoe eclair. I don't ever see it outside of London. So what she has made are these beautiful little shoe pastries. And like we were saying earlier, having one product but offering such a huge, wide, diverse range of flavours and different decorations, they look so pretty. Mm, Really nice. And, um, yeah, no, exactly. They're really just delicious and beautiful. They're really light. You you can really tell that she's been classically trained and, as you'll hear, she spent time in Paris doing that and... I, do, I think outside of Paris, you don't often see the shoe pastry with the crackler top, which she uses, and just this kind of very refined style of shoe pastry. She gave us each a box to take away, and I think I ate about eight that day. She yeah. did say that she made them specifically small so that you could eat more than one. It's a very good They're tactic, because you definitely want more than one. Yeah. They're really good. I also loved hearing about her training in Paris and her experiences in different kitchens and how that has shaped her business and she goes on to explain that she does an internship which I think is really cool and that's really sort of giving back to someone else isn't it? Yeah exactly it was it was really nice to hear of a, a new business who's really taking the time to invest in someone else's training. It was really lovely. Um, So we talk in the episode about Abby having won the BBC Good Food competition. Yeah, it was a competition to have a stall at Hampton Court Palace, BBC Good Food Show. BBC Good Food Show, exactly. And since we recorded, Abby has um, had the stall and it went really well, so... We were really happy to see that. Yeah, let's get started with the episode. We hope you've been enjoying the series so far, and if you've been listening, please don't forget to leave us a review or a star rating. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, it really helps us to reach out to more guests. It helps other people to find the podcast. Enjoy! Hi, Abby. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us about your first job in food? My first ever job? Yeah. Okay, so my first ever job in food was when I was 17, 17 years old. Um, I was at, I was in sixth form, but I always was just, I've always just been obsessed with chocolate. So I, a family friend got me in touch with someone who had a shop in Connaught Street, like a chocolate shop just like a little startup chocolate shop and I went there to sort of intern on like weekends and after school making like chocolate truffles with the chocolatiers and just sort of getting my hands dirty and and sort of learning about it so yeah that was my first job in food. That's so fun. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so then after that obviously you've always had a passion for food and um, where did you go from there and did you have professional training in a kitchen? So, so after working in that chocolate shop, I was still at, I was still at school. So I, I was actually my dad's an actor, kind of in, in sort of a pop singer, and kind of has always pushed us to towards like show business. And I went in, and I was doing, I was at a drama school. Um, so after that, I was sort of applying to uni or trying to decide whether to go to drama school or what what to do after that. And I was 18, I applied for a school, a pastry school in Paris, and I didn't get in. 
So I then went to university and I did drama and Italian literature because I was just I've always just loved love food, love chocolate, but it's always been like a bit of a vague like love of like food, French food, French patisserie and like Italian cuisine. So I went to university and there I um, sort of really started to fall in love with like Italian food and like really I started writing like a, a food blog and I knew that like my path was in food. I finished my degree um, at Sussex University, I got it first, yay, um, <laughs> just slip that in you know, um, and then I went to train in patisserie in Paris, well, that I'd, I'd wanted to do that four years ago, uh, like previously. But I was like, no, I, I still want to do it, and I'm I'm going to go for it. Um, and by and being older was a little bit more complicated because like uh, the younger you are in France to be an apprentice, the less the employer has to pay you. So um, I found it really difficult to get an apprenticeship, which I needed in order to go to pastry school. So I spent the whole summer sort of searching for um, a bakery, a patisserie shop to take me on. And I was like, it's not going to happen. And then finally I found somewhere that took me on as a pastry shop, uh, as an apprentice. And I worked for a year whilst doing the pastry school diploma. And it was a, a pastry shop in, uh, in sort of Rue Clichy in Paris, which is sort of like sort of ish central Paris in the 9th arrondissement. And then it was like 4 a.m. starts every day. Um, I don't have to get like a bike, like a Vilib, which is like those kind of like those Boris bikes that you have in London. I get one of those at like three in the morning, like every day. And it was really, really, really hard work. And I finish at like four or five p.m. Like come home just like exhausted and like do that every every day. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, <laughs> why did I decide to do this? Um, but I was really determined to get like the diploma at the end. So I persevered on, um, but I really felt like I was missing so many skills of like that I wanted to have as a pastry chef. Like I felt like that first apprenticeship hadn't really taught me like, you know, I mean, it was sort of my first job and I was sort of learning the basics, but I really, really wanted to like refine and like learn from like learn from really, really good people. So then I was trying to decide where to go from there. And I thought where do I really, really want to learn? And I decided that I really wanted to learn at the Plaids Atelier, which is basically like a palace hotel, like five-star, Michelin-star palace in Paris, in a, uh, like, close to the Champs-Élysées, you know, like, you know, really, really luxury. And there was Christophe Michelac, who's, like, the, was at the time and still is the top pastry chef of Paris, a bit like Jamie Oliver for us here. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, my God, it would be amazing to, to learn and work there. So I, um, I applied to do, like, a stage, like an internship there. And I found out that I couldn't do an internship without doing another year of school. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So I rolled in a second, year, second diploma in pastry school and, like, a master's in chocolate, pastry and, like, sweets, like, confectionery, um, just so I could work there. And I was paid like, you know, three, four hundred, three hundred euros a month to like just be shouted at by top pastry chefs in Paris to work faster and better and, you know, cut that neater and clean that better. And it was crazy, crazy mental, mental hours just working around the clock. And I did that for a year and a half, just under two years. So I worked there. Um, and it was amazing, amazing experience. Um, and that's kind of where I really learned to sort of be a pastry chef and sort of learn my skills in baking because um, although it was like quite a short period of time, it was actually felt like five years of working somewhere else like because the precision and the speed like and the discipline required was just, you know, amazing. So it was definitely what sort of that, that experience was. Yeah, that's the... That's my life and food, basically. <laughs> Quite a long one, but yeah. And just sounds so intense. Really that. intense, but an amazing foundation. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah. To yeah. then go on and take it where you want to take it. Yeah. And um, 
So then when, uh, when was it that the idea for Le Chou came about? So I, so after working in Paris, I mean, I'd been working uh, the last year in Paris, I'd been living by myself and I'd been far away from my family and I was just sort of a little bit like, kind of wanted to come home and I felt, you know, sort of like it was time to move back to London and, and sort of be close to you know, family, friends again. And so I, um, I moved back to London. I mean, I had always had like, I always wanted to have, do something of my own in, in, in patisserie or in, you know, in baking um, or in chocolate. But I, I just felt like I really needed to like learn most aspects of what that, what that meant. Um, so when I came back to London after Paris, I was really, really confused um, because I'd worked two, three years in like really, really intense places. Um, not really that enjoyable, if I'm going to be honest, working those hours under such pressure. I was a bit like, what do I want to do? So I knew that it was easy enough for me to get another job in pastry. So I looked around and I found a job as uh, a worker's sous pastry chef in like a large events company in London and I, I did that for a few months but I was really really unhappy. Let's just say that the there was a very very like male dominated atmosphere like it was extremely it was just really really hard I felt for a woman to be in that in that particular kitchen. I, I really didn't like it. I dreaded going in every day um, and eventually I left and um, I was like okay here I am I've got someone was like asked me if I wanted to join the the team at the Ritz, someone else was sort of, I, I, was, I just didn't want to go back to another kitchen. I was like, I don't really want to go back to another kitchen. I just, I don't know what I want to do. I really, yeah, and I, I figured I, the only kitchen I wanted to work in would be my own where I wouldn't be, where I wouldn't feel so like, you know, dreading going in or you know I just but I love food I really I loved I love pastry I loved I love making I love creating I have so many ideas so I was like I think that the only way I can actually you know do this is if I figure out a way to do to do it myself so um that was when the idea sort of started coming about and I had a couple of months I had like a month off when I was trying to plan like what what kind of pastry company what kind of sort of way I wanted to do it and, and before I was the I was thinking maybe I could do something which was like, you know, chocolate and like chocolate pastries, you know, everything chocolate because I've always been obsessed. And I was like, that's really not very interesting. That's actually, lots of people are doing that. And what if people don't want chocolate? <laughs> and then if like my sister's boyfriend said, why don't you, I was always making, let's just say I always made like profiteroles or like shoe, you know, with cream and ice cream for like any dessert I could it was always something I just whipped up really quickly and like my mum could never make so and I loved making shoe I'd always make like cheese puffs or anything so I could do it really really quickly but everybody else just found it really really hard and like you know always flopped so I was just like so he said um why don't you why don't you do something in shoe like why don't you do like why do you start with shoe and I was like it's actually not a bad idea there's so many things that you can do and there weren't very many people doing it in London um and like a lot of people find it really really hard as well so um then I started thinking about how that idea could could work and how I could create something that would that I could start with and that wouldn't require so much you know so many different kinds of things and that I could do at a relatively low startup cost so um, that was, and also I'm just, I just always loved shoe, religieuse, like eclairs in Paris. It's always just been like, you know, like Paris Brest, which is like this hazelnut wheels. I just like, I've always loved that kind so, of pastry. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I was like, yeah, why don't I just do the sort of my favorite pastry and sort of that I can do well and then sort of see how it goes from there. So yeah, that's, that's sort of how it started. Uh, maybe we could describe what is shoe. What what makes it a shoe pastry? Yeah. So basically, um, shoe is a um, a pastry that's been refined over like quite a few years. Um, it started out like maybe I can't remember exactly the date, but like a hundred years ago, with the pastry chef who made it for for um, the royalty in France. Like as an Italian pastry chef called Popolin or something like that, and he. Basically, it was called like pâte à chaud, which is like 
hot pastry. So it's basically a pastry that's um, cooked on the stove, whereas most pastry is made cold, you know, like puff pastry, short crust pastry, everything is sort of, you know, cold butter that you would then add, you know, your flour, your sugar, your egg mix to. Um, shoe pastry is actually made by boiling milk, water, butter, um, sugar and salt, and then um, adding the flour in to the hot mixture and then beating in eggs. So it's basically, it's it's made like that. And then the incorporation of the eggs, it means that the pastry rises naturally in the oven. Like it just, well, you don't need to add any yeast or anything to it. So it's basically, they just, you know, pop into like really, really big buns in the oven. And, and yeah, and then you can like fill them up with all different kinds of fillings and they're baked so they're not, it's not like a fried pastry, which, so it's a lot lighter than a lot of, you know, a lot of filled pastries that you find. And so it's a lot, you can kind of eat a lot more of them, I feel. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's just really, the pastry's really light and then it's all about like the fillings that you, that you make with that. And, and yeah, and we make, I make the, we do it with a like, like a craquelin, which is in France. That's how we always make shoe. Not so much eclairs, but definitely shoe buns, um, which is like a little crumble top, uh, which is um, placed on top of the buns. And then when they rise in the oven, the crumble kind of like coats the buns, so you have this sort of slightly crispy exterior rather than a sort of soft shell, which. Um, if you've ever had like profiteroles, they can sometimes get really, really soft and sometimes a little bit soggy, whereas ours are like still stay like quite crispy because of the because of the crackler. So yeah. What kind of fillings do you put in them? So so many different kinds of fillings. <laughs> what fun questions. <laughs> so we I started when I started out just had three different kinds of fillings. So it's hazelnut chocolate and vanilla so the vanilla cream um is like a lightened creme patisserie but it's rather than being like creme like creme patisserie custard which i find is quite thick it's um like like lightened with um with cream like chantilly cream so it's got like a slightly lighter texture and then otherwise i use mainly like crimmer which are a sort of um base of either like chocolate whether like a creme anglaise so you get that sort of very luxur like luxurious sort of filling rather than custard, which is I don't actually like it as much and I don't feel like it's as as intense in flavour. For example, you can get like when you just add flavourings or chocolate to custard, I don't feel like you get the same the same sort of luxurious filling than you do. And at the, now we've got about I think I've got about twelve different flavours now. Um, but we've invented like over 20 different flavours, I think. So I've got like um, chocolate and salted caramel and raspberry and pistachio and passion fruit, which I think is probably my favourite at the moment, which is like a passion fruit curd and cherry and almond and janduya and yeah just they just keep just every single time I've got like new idea and then and then I just cut out the ones that aren't as popular and just sort of stick to the ones that are doing really well so yeah are they seasonal as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure so we'll do like a lot more um in winter a lot more you know baileys coffee and you know sort of flavors that you really really want to have in winter and then in summer we've got for example at the moment the reason you know it's like more summery flavors lemon passion fruit raspberry um yeah sure and then if i can find like um a sort of something like a chocolate that i really really like or a or a new flavor that i find really really interesting then i'll, I'll you know do some tests to, to um to develop something else yeah i do think it's a really good idea you mentioned at the beginning having one product and then you can have so much fun with that one product you can create so much variety yeah from but still keep to your same ingredients and your base yeah 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 for sure like i am um, in paris this kind of pastries really really popular like there are so many 
um, companies actually everywhere in France that are doing like small buns and it was really where the macaron idea sort of started you know they sort of like you have a macaron but you have like 20 different flavours and you kind of have a box like a box of chocolates where you can just be like oh which one shall I have you know and it's, it's really exciting because you just don't you sort of just like pick you can have quite a few because, but when you're when you have like other pastries, I find that you are sometimes limited to just eating like one cake mm -hmm. because, because, <laughs> and I like the idea of like eating more. <laughs> so, um, so like I, I just um, we did start with like larger shoe, and they didn't, they were never quite as popular as the small ones, and people would always like to have like a few different ones to like try different flavored small ones rather than have like what commit to like one bigger pastry yeah that's um, interesting because they're so, so enticing yeah. with all the colors and the kind yeah. of nods to the fillings on top that of course you want to try like three or four <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that i like that like part of your aim was that people could eat lots of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't really feel like you're you're eating that much because they're really light and it's just like a little a little sweet. You know, when you have a box of chocolates, you don't really know. You're just I've just had like twenty whoops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are really light and like very. The filling's so silky and yeah, I'm excited to have more. Yes. <laughs> So high quality ingredients is really important to you, no doubt. Uh, where do you source your ingredients? So I've had, um, I think that lots of small um, makers such as myself always find it quite difficult to, you know, get bring in um, you know, so many different kinds of, you know, because obviously a lot of suppliers will deliver quite big quantities. So when you're small well, when you start out, um, it's a lot harder to sort of get, you know, what you need. I think um, I struggled with that at the beginning and now we've got, like, some really good, great suppliers that sort of, you know, I've st stuck to and it all flows nicely. Um, my main um, aim is to really have our cream and our eggs um, are fundamentally probably, like, the most important part of you know our pastries because we use so much uh, cream so so much milk you know so much chocolate and, and things like that um so i work with small suppliers small local locally you know like sort of locally produced um cream and milk from soho dairy they have like really really great uh high quality uh, dairy and i really like their cream so um and obviously free range eggs really important because I don't really like, when I first started out, I always find that um, when you're using products that you're closer to, I don't know how to explain, but when you're using products that you, you sort of like like as well, it makes the end product a lot nicer. I mean, I know that so many producers are really, really working towards, you know, using like such sustainable and ethically sourced um, produce. And I, and for me, that's really important. So once you'd had your idea and started making the shoe, what was your first um, avenue for selling them? Did you start in markets or what was your approach? So I, yes, markets basically, exactly. I went to, um, I applied to Old Spitalfields Market. So I started trading there um, just on Saturdays and... Um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, um, my little sister helped me and I had a, another friend who was a, who's a pastry chef and he was helping me and I, and I found a really, I found a, a kitchen close to my house, um, after like, you know, realizing that it was going to be impossible to do like any other way. Um, so, but obviously when you're renting kitchen space and you've got like very little money to start with, I was, I got like a cheap rake so I worked at night. So I was working at night to then go out and do spittle fields on the Saturday morning. So Friday nights were just from 11pm to like 7am. I was just baking and making all night. I know it's crazy. Um, and then everyone was like in spittle fields. My little sister was like, hey, like my sister's got this great concept. Like making she's got like this real hype around her. And everyone was like, you should come on Sundays. And I was like, wait, that means two all-nighters. How am I going to do that? Um, <laughs> Animal service here so, so early, I didn't feel like, you know, leaving anyone sort of alone for too long. Mm. Like, you know, I was really... When we look back on these situations, it's like, why didn't I just do that differently? But, um, 
but yeah, then I started doing um, Saturdays and Sundays in Spitalfields Market, and and that was just crazy, because she was like a really really fresh pastry. Like it really, it really is difference between like you know a day and sort of a few hours. So it's really, it's really important to me that they're made really fresh, which is why I was working those hours. And so yeah, it was Spitalfields on the weekends. And so I was doing that for quite a while. And then I applied to Curb, and I'd already met Petra, who's the founder of Curb. Um, she had once started up her own chocolate company, and we had a chat once, and it was just like, her story was really inspirational, and I, and I really, um, I wrote to her to be like, like, do you think there would be any way of me doing some curb markets? And then she got me onto curb, and then things started sort of like, you know, going really well for us from there on. Do you want um, to just like say for a second what curb is? Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Explain it. Yeah, yeah. So curb are uh, like a food, like orga- uh, event organizers and markets organizers, basically. So they they kind of. Um, they have a database of hundreds of food traders and they have little they have spots around London where they have their markets and they just choose the top like London street food traders. So when you go and eat at their markets, like usually you'll just definitely have like something that's really, really good because all the traders have been like vetted basically. So they, they do like they have markets and then they also have um, events so people will um, come to them when they're organising, you know, an event, either a private event or a public event, um, and then Curb pulls in their traders to sort of put the word out there and see who, who wants to get involved. So, yeah, and they're, they're an amazing company, and they're growing. They're growing really fast, and they're just really excited about food and everything. So it's really, really nice to be part of that um, of that sort of hub. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess such a nice way of meeting other food traders as well and sort of sharing experiences and things yeah i definitely feel like there's like a kudos around curb and mm, when you hear that sure. someone's part of curb it gives it kind of elevates a bit yeah it's definitely yeah. A, cre- a level of credibility isn't it yeah and yeah everything i've heard from curb is always good so it's yeah, nice that yeah there's yeah. a community and they really care about who's trading there and that's yeah, it makes you come back. Mm. The trade, the food um, traders there are genuinely really, really like the food is genuinely really, really good. I mean, when I I know that um, I don't think I've ever really had a bad meal there. And you often you eat at these markets. Sometimes you can be disappointed. Whereas yeah. like I always find that um, when you when the the curb markets are on, you've always got like really really nice food with this like really amazing pizzas or if it's like steak and chips and it's just really really usually really really nice so um although we're doing something that's not really classically thought of as like street foods we started on you know obviously we were doing so many markets and everything and, and it was we kind of designed a sort of street food style shoe quite a few months on the markets which was like profiteroles or what shoe which are served in like a little dessert pot with with like sauces and everything so people could kind of like if they wanted that kind of eat straight away option like they could have that and then otherwise people who wanted to take like some pastries back to the office they can also buy a box and sort of you know have that later and so okay so you were at Spitalfields at the weekend and then you started doing stuff with Curb yeah in the week so then um, I was, well, I mean, before, when I started Spitalfields, I was actually, um, I actually had another job at the time working as a chef during the week. So I was actually doing that on the weekends. And then um, also when I first started up, I seemed to think it was really important that I, um, that I could drive and I couldn't drive. So I was doing like driving lessons as well. So <laughs> like, how can I have a pastry company without being able to drive and have a car? Like that doesn't make any sense. So I was like learning to drive as well as having an- another job and doing that on the weekends. So I like literally did, was doing so much and it took me like ages to pass my driving test because I'm from London. And so I've never really like driven a car until, <laughs> until getting in one to, to start learning. So, um, so I mean, I was um, just doing the weekends for like a good three four months and then after that um I realized when I started going with Curb I sort of took things a bit more full-time and I 
I was doing markets during the week and then then I got with a few delivery companies for example City Pantry are really really great um, and so I was getting some more orders through that and I was getting orders um, from customers on the markets who'd you know sort of email me about parties and this kind of thing so um, things were getting a little bit busier and then through City Pantry I did we did like an event where we were selling we were selling like our pastries and there it was like a food buyers event in the city amazing event and that's where I met the buyer from Fortnum and Mason and I just there was a little queue to sort of meet him and get get some some people were sort of queuing to get their products to to the buyer and um I got in the queue and um the lady who was sort of managing the queue was like, no, no, it's, there are too many people now. And I was like, oh, I didn't really mind. I was like, no, I'm just going to stand here anyway. <laughs> and then um, when when he came out, um, I was like, oh, um, would you mind um, if I gave you this? And he was like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, their, their shoe. Um, you know, I've got my company um, specialising in this product. And he looked at me and went, I love shoe. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And then um, that evening I got an email saying that he loved them and um, would I like to come in that week to talk about um, uh, supplying them with the, supplying the pastry counter with them. So um, then after that we started supplying to Fortnum's, which was, which was great. So I was doing markets on the weekends and then supplying daily to Fortnum's and then deliveries during the week as well. So, yeah. Incredible. That's... Very full on. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have... A team helping you in the kitchen or an assistant or delivery help. It can't be just you. <laughs> yeah. I um, no, I know. It's like, well, when I realised that I couldn't drive and deliver and make and sell, I was getting a little bit more realistic then. Um, driving was, has never been my forte. took me four, four goes to pass. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not... Uh, but um, I... Um, yeah, so just... Um, when things started getting a little bit busier, I put out an ad for an apprentice, actually. This was when I first started. And this girl um, applied, this girl called Maria, um, who was, like, 18, and she was just, like, doing a pastry school. And I really, really wanted to take someone on who, like, as an apprentice, because I'd been taught, and I felt like it had been so hard for me to be really, really taught by someone. And I and that had helped me grow so much. So I was really, really keen to find to sort of teach someone like that. And this girl um, applied, and um, she was like, "Please take me on, otherwise I'm gonna have to, you know, sort of." She could, she couldn't find an apprenticeship in pastry. She was like, "Otherwise I'll have to sort of do a apprenticeship in something else." Because her school made her do, made them do like a, an apprenticeship. I was like, oh, I wasn't really sure because it was really, really, I needed help. I didn't need, I didn't necessarily, you know, even though I wanted to teach someone, it was it was also a bit torn between, like, having the time to really give to someone, to sort of really teach them. And then eventually, and then I took her on, and um, at the beginning it was like, you know, nightmares all around, mistakes every day. And I was like, I don't think I can keep, keep this girl on anymore. I think she's, she's just going to keep burning everything. And then... Um, and then little by little she got better and better and she was working with me and she was like she was working so hard and she was, and I was I was paying her not very much at all and she just really wanted to learn she was so so keen um and she just became my like my right hand woman and she was just like helping me enormously and she was up like she was coming into the kitchen like at 4am like helping me with everything and then then yeah then she moved on to another place only about 6 months ago um, and she was just like amazing. She's she's just like so happy with her experience. She's like, oh, I can do everything now. And she was like really happy. And I was like, you know, take on somewhere else. Like, you know, I want you to want you to experience more places. And so we've still got an amazing relationship. And when she left, um, I took on someone else to help me in the kitchen. And then I have someone who um, does the deliveries. And then when we have an event or anything like that, my um, I have some sort of part-time staff or my little sister who's really lovely and charismatic will come along and sort of help with that. So, um, so yeah, I have some people helping, but otherwise I do, like, a lot of it and then I have people sort of helping when, when it needs. So, yeah, for sure. Cool. When I was starting out, I think that most people are a little bit... I think that when you're making everything, you sort of take on a lot and 
I, I speak to a lot of people who have the same kind of problem of like really like letting go, not because they don't think anyone's going to do, you know, better or anything, but they, you know, they they just kind of are really really attached to their products, or they and that's that's really difficult to sort of step away from. Um, and then in and then in January, I actually injured myself really really badly. I kind of I cut the top of my finger off in the door. Oh my god! So yeah, that wasn't fun. And then that was when I was like. I can't keep working like this. It's just, mm. um, I'm just going to get too exhausted and burn out. So um, I just had to take on some more help and just say, you know, it's not it's not feasible to be working all these nights and like like that. So, um, so yeah, it's important to sort of take on help when people are, because I'm very much people like, oh, I'll help you with that. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine, I can do it. You know, I don't want to accept it because I'm, because I'm thinking, oh, no. It's fine, I, I can do it by myself, I'm all right, but it's not necessarily the, got to embrace help when you can. Yeah, you do, but I think when you've created something, it is a natural instinct to be like, no, this is, like, I shouldn't need help, I've put my, you know, I've done this, I've created this, and you want to as well, you're like, I, you know, it's my thing and my recipes, and it's, it, it's hard, but it, you're right, it is definitely the right thing to do. Yeah. And it takes time, like, for, I think that we're really, um, London, we speak to a lot of people, but we are, there is a, there is a shortage of skilled people, mm. um, but then training people takes an enormous amount of time, because I know because I took ages to train, and I'm like, you know, I'm not, you know, I usually, I can learn things quite fast, but um, this kind of skilled job is, like, really... It's, you know, it's technically demanding, you have to be like really, really precise, you have to, you know, especially when you start supplying to luxury retailers, then the, the bar goes way higher and then there's so much more pressure on because it's not like pressure from like, you know, selling to markets, customers are so happy on markets, they're always like, oh wow, you make these, <laughs> like, these are amazing, whereas when you start like supplying to like, you know, shops or like retailers, all of a sudden like every single thing has to be exactly the same and every day it's got to be you know and, and they can't really yeah you need the consistency yeah. and yeah. yeah it's got to be there for yeah. sure yeah. yeah I really like that you trained someone and had your own apprentice that's really nice it's yeah. really generous with it's your time. really generous yeah it was really um it was really um amazing to see this girl grow and it was almost like on the side of doing this on a, in a tiny tiny way I just had so much satisfaction seeing her get better and faster and her piping get more and more you know precise and like her get so she was so she was hung she's Hungarian and she's just so happy with like <laughs> everything she's just like this like little like bundle of joy she was always just so like excited every time she got things right or when she managed to like do something in a short period of time and everything and like um it was really really nice to sort of see that and then then I actually tried to take on another apprentice um, but then apparently the government scrapped uh, pastry apprenticeships so it wasn't actually possible for me to take on anyone which was a bit disappointing because um, obviously it is such there is there is a shortage of pastry mm. chefs um, but now the only apprenticeship you can do at that age is a commie apprenticeship so um, so yeah it's not um, it's not ideal because I think people who want to work in kitchens and people who want to work in baking are completely different things, completely. Um, yeah. So I would really think it was important for, like, the UK to kind of make that a priority, like, you know, and give young people a chance to learn that skill because it isn't, it isn't really taught very widely. It's um, not really offered up as an option. Yeah. I never thought about going to to study cookery or catering or anything like that. I never really thought of it as a actual option. Doesn't Yeah. No, it's not when okay. it probably could be good for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I think so. My mum went to catering college and I still didn't think of it as an option. And it was really? only after I'd been to university and worked for a few years. I had a bit more life experience. Exactly. That I considered like doing any kind of training or pursuing anything in baking and it's so weird because when it's something you've loved for so obviously as you do you know you loved food and you loved baking and why wouldn't you pursue that as a career it makes so much sense 
but it's not always easy when you're when you're younger and when you're at school and everything academics being thrown at you to yeah. make that decision on your own. And I wonder if it's less regarded than it is in France. Like it's such a prestigious thing, isn't it? Yeah. In in France, it's. I mean, the reason why I really wanted to go and work there was because they really take every single aspect of um, you know of of of, of cooking. Um, it's like it's in its own niche. So there's baking, but that's not. If you want to be a baker, you're learning to make bread, you're not learning to make cakes. Mm-hmm. If you're learning to be a chocolatier, you're going to learn to be to make chocolates, you're not going to be learning to make bread. You know, if you're going to do, like, uh, cuisine, you know, like catering, cookery, cookery, you'll do savoury and you'll learn that, you know, and patisserie. It's all defined, specific um, jobs. Yeah. Whereas in England, you'll learn cookery and that's... Then you can you can never really be specialised in bread or chocolate if you're learning cookery as a whole. But it's such a huge, it's huge it's individual craft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think in France as well, from what you know, the little I know is that a lot of people do leave school to do apprenticeships in a craft, whether it's in food of some kind or whether it's like furniture making or glass blowing. Yeah. It's a really big culture there for actually learning craft and that's respected in a way that it doesn't feel like it is so much here like if you don't if you don't go you know to sick form in this country and you just go straight out to work or you know whatever it kind of feels like it's seen as a bit less which it shouldn't be yeah not, not everyone excels in the same area of studying yeah or just not everyone is interested in yeah those traditional academic subjects yeah. Yeah, in France they talk a lot about like the the artisanal, like the the like artisanal work. Mm. Um and I that's one thing that I really do connect with that side of of France for me because well my mom's a ceramist, she she's a potter. So she's always made everything by hand and she then she started making jewelry. So everything's always been like everything that's handmade for me has just been like really like amazing. So for me like if somebody's made a croissant with their hands it's so such a different experience than having a croissant that's machine, you know, sort of made yeah. industrially. I mean, I mean, everyone knows that it doesn't necessarily taste the same, of course, because you know something that's like handmade is always, you know, it's going to use often. It's going to just be better, it's better, nicer ingredients. You know, there there no shortcuts have really been taken to use cheaper ingredients oil margarine or anything but also it's just the idea that somebody spent time making that and I find that so I love that so much and I, mm-hmm. I just think that um it's um really respected in in France like the like artisan you know have if somebody's got their shop of like yeah furniture making or you know like glass blowing or you know bread you know boulangerie they'll have like one shop but they are really working to p- make that product amazing they're not thinking about expanding and having 10 shops next year do you see what I mean yeah and like I think that that um in London we've got a different perception of business I'm not saying that that wouldn't be the dream but I'm just saying that like sometimes our priorities are different because we're concerned but everyone's always like so what's next like what what's you're going to be or um you know how many shops you're going to have next year or what, what, how, how many and I, and I find that that fast-paced mentality is a little bit more it's a little bit more American rather than being like, you know, European and actually like taking care of, of something and doing it well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's you've kind of got to have a balance between the two, but um, that's what's really nice about learning in France for sure. I think yeah. Yeah, and also cookery courses in in England. I, I find that um, they're often really quite expensive and you end up working a job that actually isn't that well paid, so it doesn't really make that much sense that apprenticeships aren't more sort of highly regarded like you say sort of like being yeah. an option to, to people to be like hey maybe you don't want to go to university maybe you want to learn to do something else like be a carpenter or you know something something yeah. with your hands like not everybody's made to be to go to university yeah no absolutely hopefully it'll change yeah let's see I feel like your product with Fortnum is such a perfect match yeah 
completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they nice to work with? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've done a lot of a lot of um, development with them, and they've. Um, I always find that they've been really, um, really open minded to you know the the products that we've sent out, and um, and yeah, we've built like a really really great relationship. So that's um, um, and it, yeah, it does work. It does work really well because obviously people go in there to like buy really nice things like tea and like get a few little you know chocolates or macarons. So yeah, it works. It works really well. Um, and yeah, it is difficult to deliver a fresh product. It does require an enormous amount of planning, um, and yeah, it's it's not it's not easy. But I mean, um, every single product, I suppose, has has its difficult sides. So ours is that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you deliver daily to Selfridges as well. So we um, deliver four days a week to Selfridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got two exclusive flavours uh, with them at the moment, like a blonde chocolate. Mm. And yeah. yeah, so it's like a blonde chocolate. It's um, a it's like a caramelised white chocolate. I'm not sure if you've ever had sort of blonde chocolate. It's really, really nice. It's like, it's um, got it's so sort good. of caramel notes to it. It's really yeah. nice. So we make a, like a crimper uh, cream with that blonde chocolate. Um and then we've also got lemon and pistachio, which is like a lemon with like fresh pistachio, and that's really really nice. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, and how yeah. did that um, partnership with Selfridges come about? So, um, Selfridges came about. Uh, it was just actually just a question of um, kind of sent popping an email over and seeing if they'd be interested in our products. Um, and then it's been it's taken quite a long time to actually sort of um, start up because um, being such a big shop, I think, and also um, having a lot going on our side, we sort of um, had uh, a few months of it. It should have we should have actually launched a few months before. But it's, um, yeah, it was a question of the buyer just sort of contacting me and saying, would you be up for maybe doing these flavours? And then I and I was like, yep, and I, I did like a box of all these different flavours for her to try um, based on um, some sort of new up-and-coming flavours that she, she sort of wanted to try. Like, um, we did like a tahini flavor and like a blonde chocolate speculos and like um lots of different flavors clementine um and so yeah i just brought her uh some of our pastries and then it sort of started kind of going on from there so yeah cool yeah um tahini was a really really quite a strange flavor i mean i think that tahini brownies and tahini cakes Mm. works really really well but tahini Cream and shoe, I wasn't convinced. Yeah, there's nothing to offset it. I think you need a lot more sweetness in there. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. I think so. To cut through, mm. it's very thick texture. Yeah. 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 Even yeah. if it was like chocolate tahini, mm. that would probably, like, if you had like a, a chocolate yeah. cream with some tahini through it or something. Yeah. Yeah. But we also we did also make like a sesame one, and that worked quite that worked quite nicely because I used sort of the um, use sesame to make like a really nice little crisp disc on top so when you bit into the bun you had like a little bit of like crisp sesame and that, that flavour worked quite nicely. There's so many things that you can do with those flavours but yeah. So last year you were shortlisted for the YBF's Baking Award, is that right? Yes, yep, yep, yep. How, how was that process? What, I don't, yeah, I don't know anything about the process. So, um, YBFs, they are, they're like um, a group, uh, it's an award um, started out by a few um, sort of food entrepreneurs and um, sort of uh, some people who are working in um, in marketing and, and they um, have these awards where they're celebrating sort of small artisans um, and small food producers, writers who don't necessarily have they don't they're not necessarily like widely known um but i put myself 
and I got um, and some people sort of put me forward for the award and then we were shortlisted last year um, which was really exciting and um, so basically uh, the first if the first sort of uh, meeting was like a little tasting panel um, and um, was with um, Justin Gallatly and Lily um, Jones from Lily Vanilli and Felicity Spector. Um, so I brought my pastries to be tried by them. So like did like a range of little different all different kinds of things, um, and so that was it was really really great to meet them and um, and for them to try my stuff and then after that there was the award ceremony and they designed this amazing like sweet buffet where they asked um, myself and um, a few of the other uh, people who were shortlisted to um, provide some of their some of their products for the for the display so we did lots of little buns and little like religious which are, like little shoe towers and and pastries for that and then um, and then yeah, it was uh, the ceremony was amazing. It was just like, just this really um, lovely evening celebrating sort of uh, artisans and food producers. Um, so yeah, it was it was yeah it was really really great. And there've been quite a few meetups since then as well, where I've met lots of other um, small food producers, and it's it's just really really nice little hub to be part of. And it was yeah, it's great. Sounds really cool. And um, another thing that you award that you were part of that you won was a BBC Good Food bursary, and so that the prize for that was a stand at the BBC Good Food show. Yeah, it actually hasn't happened yet. It's actually oh, at the end of this month. Yet. Yeah, yeah, oh, cool. that's cool. So, um, so yeah, it's um, um, <laughs> bad research on my part. There's um, there's this there's a really lovely lady who has a um food a sort of company where she called called fabulous food finds um and it's um sort of brings in um food entrepreneurs and um to to try you know for them so she can try uh, their products um and then the and then win a, a stand at the bbc good food festival in hampton court so um i decided to go up for it and i like i delivered um, a box of pastries to their headquarters in Hammersmith um, and yeah just got like sort of in, a call a few like like even I think on the same day being like oh we love them so much da, da, da. like um, I'm gonna put you through for the award like a really really um, yeah they really 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 loved them which was so so great um, and so now at the end of this month, I'll be at the Hampton Court BBC Good Food Festival for three days um, over the bank holiday weekend. Um, so yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll so be cool. really really that'll be great. So um, I think that that uh, that that fair that festival is really really um, it's a really really good fair to be at, and yeah. um, and I've heard only really good things about it. So we're looking forward to. It. That should be a great experience. Yeah. Totally. Nice setting as well. Yeah. Do you structure your week in a certain way? Do you have days where you're baking and days where you're doing admin? How do you balance it out? Yeah. So um, it's, it's usually, I usually am able to plan. But in the last few weeks, um, my base trip was away, so I was having to take on a lot more of work in the kitchen. So I was sort of um, having to dedicate a lot more time to that. But yeah, I mean, I, I have um, usually try and reserve at least two, three days to work on, yeah, admin and invoicing and and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's never really, never really calm. It's um, but um, in terms of real structure, because I'm. Because I am a pastry chef and I've been working in that industry for so long, I find planning, you know, planning, making, development, you know, creating side of things comes to me really naturally. And then when it comes to like sitting down and I'm really working on all other sides of the business, I I do find it quite tricky to sort of um, 
to to not veer off and I mean it's it's a whole different job really in itself than um you know sitting down and like figuring out you know how you're gonna what's next where you're gonna where you're gonna sell next or or this kind of thing it takes it takes a lot of planning so yeah I mean I have to I dedicate my a uh, bit of time and also I'm I am I am into um I do like to just sort of have some time by myself where I really really think through think through things and think through how things are going to work and and so I wouldn't say it's like a structure like Monday I'm going to do that and then Tuesday I'm going to do that um but it's a, it's a sort of quite vague structure I'm not going to lie <laughs> should be a lot more like <laughs> you know discipline but then things come up and you can't yeah. necessarily you know, all of a sudden you've got another order. So you, you know, you planned to invoice on Tuesday afternoon, but all of a sudden you've got an, uh, an order on Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning mm. to sort out. So you've got to make more of that. So it's it's difficult to plan. Yeah. yeah, I definitely find that as well. You've got this plan in place, but stuff comes up, and you've got to prioritize orders coming in ultimately over, yeah. I would say, most other things. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do sort of personally to keep well? Do, you know, obviously running a business is really busy and there's a lot going on. So is there anything you do to kind of just keep track of your personal well-being? So I um, I used to be, bef- I used to be really, really good at that before starting up the shoe. Like I used to um, spend a little, spend spend time um, taking out some time to like meditate and I used to run regularly and then I've got to be honest since starting out which is probably not what not to do but um, it's just at the end of the day when you've been on your feet making all day and it's just the last thing you want to do is um, go to the gym (laughs) so um, I think that my job that that, like working kitchen is already really really physical Um, and in terms of well-being, I just I really prioritise. I I now have had to be extremely disciplined with my sleep because the first year of starting the shoe, I was doing like two, three all nighters a week, which don't do it. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Um, and I was working so much that um, I couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything, and I, I was really, really just working myself really really hard um so now I really prioritize my sleep it's really important for me to to go to bed early so I can be up early and and function because otherwise I just if I don't look after my my health and I try and eat healthily I don't actually eat that many sweets like I used to I think that when you're making making it a lot you you just don't end up because you're busy and you don't end up Eating and you're tasting bits and pieces yeah. all the time. You kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah, crave yeah. sweet things, really, is once you leave the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm not, at the end of the day, I'm not a, a health advocate. I'm not the right person to speak to in regards to that. <laughs> I've actually heard some of you guys' podcasts and everyone's like, yeah, I run, I do this, I do that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's on my, li- it's on my list, let's just say. <laughs> I think yeah. you're, sleep- you're right, though. Sleep is is as important yeah. as exercising and eating well and yeah and all I think if things. you're standing up for 10 hours in the kitchen I probably the last thing your body wants is to go for a run yeah, yeah. that's too you're already yeah your legs just ache after doing that for so long um, yeah. so I'm sure yeah I mean, I I do. There, what I think of is sometimes when I was younger, I used to put so much pressure on myself to um to do certain things. I think we all do in this society mm-hmm. that you've got to like do this and have a social life and go to work and be here and, and sort of be be like Wonder Woman. But I mean, now I put on a little bit less pressure on myself to sort of um do certain things. And I think even though these are things I really want to do, and I I know that I will do them eventually, and like. You know, if I if I want when I do want to, I will go out for a jog because, not because I'm, just because for my health, my mental, I just you know nice to mm-hmm. clear your mind and like go for a run. Um, but I don't put pressure on myself like Tuesday morning I have to, otherwise I'll feel guilty the whole day because mm. that doesn't do me any good. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds good. What is in store for the rest of the year for Le Choux? So you've got Hampton Court, BBC Good Food Fair, and what else have you got planned? 
So, um, I've got some events, um, I've got a few exciting little collaborations. I come in, in September, I'll be designing some um, pastries for Sotheby's, which will be really exciting. They've got like a diamond auction. Um, so that'll be, so they, they're going to sort of tell me the theme in the next few weeks. Um, so that'll be really, really fun. Um, and then otherwise it's just about, um, yeah, more events. I find that um, events are for sure like a really enjoyable aspect to, to the job and just kind of um, getting more deliveries and just, yeah, I mean, apart from that, we just, you know, keep keep going and and doing what we're doing, um, and so yeah. Sounds great. Cool, and um, where can people find you on social media and if they want to try your shoe? So um, on social media, so on Instagram, I'm with Le Shoe London, so that's L-E-C-H-O-U-X London. Uh, Twitter it's the same and Facebook the same. And then the website is lechoulondon.com and then um, you can find our pastries daily in uh, Fortnum's and also in Selfridges. Um, and then, yeah, uh, email, it's um, info at lechoulondon.com. Great. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. It's been great. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find us on Twitter at What's Cooking Pod, on Instagram at What's Cooking Podcast, or drop us an email, thewhatscookingpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to find new guests and also helps other people find the podcast. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye.